Today, midweek drama. Fill them up and full them down as Spurs celebrate their new stadium and we wave goodbye to the cottagers. Meanwhile, Ollie at the Wolves and Smalling with the Howler and Man U's Molyneux Mayor. We preview this weekend's FA Cup semi-finals, look back at Barcelona's latest epic thriller. In Italy, there's Kane 1, stupid calorie racist nil and a Bonucci own goal in the fallout from Juve's win in Sardinia and the Classicas in town. All that plus fridge news in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Woo, listener. We've got a Raphael Honigstein view today. Hello. Also back to stat. It's the man from Opta, Duncan Alexander. Hello. And fresh in from that Offside Rule podcast, Lindsay Hooper. Yeah, I haven't had to move. We've done a recording and then I've hung around for you. Bingo. For those who don't know what the Offside Rule is, could someone get down there and explain it to them? They could. Um, so the Offside Rule is myself, Kate Borsay, Hayley McQueen, uh, women, talking about football, any football, um, and giving you a little insight to our lives as well along the way. Oh, really? What insights were uncovered in this we were talking. Show? Well, last week we were talking about crisps quite a bit and football domestics. I'm sure you've had a few. Rafa, you what look like you might domestics? have had. A football domestic is when you have a row with someone because of football, because you want to go to some football event and your other half doesn't want you to go. Right. No, I don't have any football domestics. No? It's my job. Uh, that's what I tried to say. It doesn't work for me okay. as much. Um, uh, we've also been talking on this week's podcast right. um, about going down, gone down, down in history. There's a bit of a down, 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 down theme. Watership down. Watership down. <laughs> Other downs are available. I've, I've so rendered you silent. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds amazing. And that's available <laughs> probably now. Tomorrow. Really? Well, but oh. probably now in kind of listener land. Yes. Yeah. In, in listener in, in the future where you live. It's there. Super. Well, so much uh, to talk about in our show, luckily enough, with that midweek drama Spurs opening up their new joint. Fulham going down, United blowing up against Wolves, which I guess was the big story midweek. And Lindsay, you were there. I was. Wow. I have to say, I was very worried for the first 20 minutes. Well, because you just lost 2-0 against Burnley, for crying out loud. I have a theory about that, though. I have a theory that the the changes were coming for, for that Burnley match. So Jimenez was on the bench. Um, Matt Doherty was rested. I really think that Nuno, uh, knowing how he works now and starting to, I think, tap into him a little bit, he wanted to take those risks, make those rests for that game because he really wanted the bounce factor to take to Wembley of having a win. So he was always going to put a really strong side out against Manchester United. But for the first 20 minutes, I didn't think that was going to work. I, I mean, we were definitely the second best team. Um, Lingard was very quick to, to have an opportunity. Um, McTominay was brilliant for Manchester United. And that first 20 minutes, I thought, oh, it could be 2-3-0 here. Had Lukaku taken his chances? Yes, there were, there were chances for United to take, but they didn't. And from the moment Wolves got that equaliser through Jota the game completely turned and it was in Wolves' favour. There were endless more opportunities as well and right at the death, Cavalero could have scored, which would have been brilliant for his confidence. I think right. a goal would do him the world of good, but it hit the crossbar. A 2-1 victory. Love the stat that United actually had more shots against their own keeper than Wolves did in that match. Yes, and I think in the second half, um, apart from that last five-minute spell, um, Wolves hadn't even had a shot on target yet, scored a goal because it was an own goal. Ah, of course it was. Mm. Chris Smalling. United had also gone down to ten men, courtesy of a historic 
bit of Mike Deanness. Yeah, we've been waiting a long time for him to reach 100 red cards, and he did it uh, on a, in a live TV game, which perhaps we could have hoped for and expected. Um, I mean, Asher Young was the man he sent off. Um, both of Young's red cards, actually, in the Premier League have been handed out by Mike Dean. But it was quite a strange thing for Young. He was playing in a back three, um, which is sort of a Mourinho-style manoeuvre from earlier in the season. And United did look a bit out of sorts at the back. So, yeah, a bit odd that. We'll talk more about United later on. I just wanted to ask this question from DRRN17. With Mike Dean reaching the milestone of 100, does the panel have a favourite red card from the Premier League's premier referee? Um, I think my favourite's probably Duncan Ferguson uh, for Everton at Wigan about 2006, um, which was a very Duncan Ferguson-style red card. And it's the one where Jimmy Bullard famously does the look to camera, which is quite it's worth looking up on YouTube. Okay. He sent um, Joey Barton yes. off, didn't he? That was... A, that was I, I, I was really actually disappointed that he didn't do more fanfare about it. More of a flourish. Yes. Like, I thought he was going to flourish the red card a little bit more dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was quite underplayed, wasn't it? Yeah, Mike Dean. Slide would have been For Mike Dean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, well, that was Mike Dean. And we'll talk more about United later on and their three defeats and one narrow win since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was uh, confirmed as their permanent manager. But Wolves, we touched on it briefly there, the fact that you've picked up more points against the top six than you have against the bottom six. Won three, drawn four, lost two. Which is great against the top six. I mean, to, to have that sort of um, record, I, I was only just thinking about Huddersfield. I know that they went down this week, but those six points that we let go begging this season, if we had those six points as well, I mean, we'd be fighting towards Champions League places, wouldn't we? Well, ish. Ish. We'd, ish. we'd, we'd be closer. But we're losing twice to Huddersfield, but beating United and Chelsea is, is a pretty phenomenal achievement. Mm, I, I have been so impressed with, with the team and every single time I've been in the tunnel after the match um, and people have spoken to either Nuno or one of the Wolves players that's been put up for interview, um, the same question gets asked, which is, you know, why do you perform so well against top six teams? And I think they, they find that quite a frustrating question because I think it's a style of play and I don't think that they like the suggestion that they're more motivated against the top six. I don't think that's the case. I think it probably just suits the style that they play, um, suits teams that will take the game to them more. And that just hasn't happened with, with the, the teams like Huddersfield that we played in Watford when they beat us earlier in the season. I think they're one of the best counter-attacking sides in, in the Premier League. And they just get more space, more opportunities when they have teams coming onto them and find it probably a bit more difficult to break down deep deep-lying sides. So what happens this weekend as they take on Watford? Are Watford going to come on to them? Not to the extent that the top six would. Um, in Watford are quite quite a cute side. Um, they tend to create a lot of chances. They always look pretty impressive, but they're not always delivering the end product that you perhaps expect. They're always, well, whenever I see them, they look really good. They're easy on the eye, um, but they have weaknesses. I expect more of a of a cagey affair cagey. In this one. Yeah. This is four o'clock Sunday afternoon. Are you going along? This, I am. I'm going as a fan. This is Wembley. This is the FA Cup semi-final. I know. This is what I nearly had a football domestic over. But um, oh right, because because what was the alternative? 
Well, the in-laws-to-be are coming down for a wedding anniversary and um, a, a nice posh afternoon tea had been booked, but oh. we've managed to move it, thankfully, Your to the Saturday. No, the in-laws-to-be, right. so not mine. But um, it's all fine now. It's been smoothed over. I'm going. I'm taking my best friend, who was a season ticket holder for 11 seasons, mm. and we're going to go and enjoy it as a fan experience. Uh, the thing that makes me nervous about Watford as opposition, well, one, obviously, they've already had the better of us in the league. But if you look at Wolves and how we defend, we are very good at being quite narrow. So going down the middle, we're very good at, at really thwarting that threat. But players like Gerard Delefeu, I think, will be um, key for us to try and stop um, at Wembley. Because also the width as well at Wembley, you know, everybody likes to play to those lines. Um, Decore, who's been in good form, um, and Pereira, I think those are going to be the sorts of players that could really pick us apart. Having said that, the confidence that we take in from beating Manchester United, does that usurp the the confidence they will have from relegating Fulham? one, I think so. I think it's, is it not more impressive to beat Manchester United going into Wembley than beating Fulham? Well, I think it's interesting as well. You said earlier how um, Wolves used the last weekend as the rest time and, and prepared for the midweek game. And I think Watford sort of did the same thing. Yeah, they did. I don't think there's that um, much between them in that. And I think it's quite nice that, I mean, Wolves and Watford are the two best teams this season outside the, the top six. So one of them is going to get to the cup final. And as someone who doesn't really mind which one, I'm just yeah looking forward to the game. Just one point between them. Both got exciting Latin managers who maybe overperform with the squad that they've got. Yeah. Tough one to call. Of course, uh, Wolves have been here many times before. They've won the FA Cup four times, been in the final eight times. Last victory was back in 1960. As for Watford, this is their fourth semi-final since the turn of the millennium, remarkably. They had a, a very... One of their more exciting ones was back in 1987, though, Duncan. Uh, do you want to tell us what happened? Yeah, this was, it's gone down in kind of FA Cup folklore. Um, both of Watford's goalkeepers were injured. Tony Coton, the first choice, and Steve Sherwood. And they ended up signing um, the chief executive's son on a, on a short-term deal. So David James was there as, as youth team keeper. But... He was 16, yeah. Oh, right. Presumably so a... deemed a bit young to be. Right. So anyway, um, this guy was just, was just signed as cover, Gary Plumley, his name was. He ran a wine bar in Newport. Called, so called... he's the son of the Watford chief exec? Yeah. He was a goalkeeper, but he'd mainly played in the Far East and, and kind of for Newport in Wales and stuff. So um, a goalkeeper, but not one uh, of the highest level. He signed his cover for the first keeper that got injured, but then Steve Sherwood got injured as well. Um, so he ended up having to play in the FA Cup semi-final at Villa Park against Tottenham. And how, how did it go? Well... How did he do? Well, he was 3-0 down after 35 minutes and having re uh, watched all the goals yesterday, but up to we've got a thing called Aralene's a goal and I think he'd have probably got two for the first three goals. Right. Uh, and yeah, Watford went on to lose 4-1. Um, and yeah, he was a bit out of his depth, but... When asked if he got paid, he said, I did. It was expenses and enough to buy a fridge. We bought a fridge with the money. It's still working and we still use it. It's in the garage. We've got two of these fridges, and one of them I call the Watford fridge. Yeah, so there you go. It's still working, <laughs> which is testament to the fridge industry, if nothing else. All right, of course, goal is a big issue with Watford because of Aurelio Gomez, yes. his emotional scenes at the end of the quarterfinal. Will he play? I would have thought so. I, I mean, they've stuck with him throughout this competition, haven't they? Yeah, although a Watford fan I know did suggest that Foster might play. So. Oh. Well, so little between these teams in the table and indeed alphabetically. Uh, what? Who would you like to see going there? What would make a better FA Cup final, Duncan? Uh, well, if Brighton did manage to get past City, then uh, a Brighton-Watford final would um, 
be good in the sense that those two teams both lost 83 and 84. Um, you know, chance for one of them to finally put that uh, memory to bed. Mm-hmm. But I think it's probably going to be Man City against Wolves. So Really? Yeah. Okay, uh, Man City taking on Brighton on Saturday then, that game. Yes. Right, and uh, word that Aguero might not be there for that one, or indeed potentially the Champions League game against Spurs the following week. It's cup football, anything can happen. Brighton had that great comeback against Millwall. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be worth keeping an eye on that on the Saturday. Excellent, all right. Well, that's the FA Cup. Uh, very shortly, we'll talk more about what happened midweek in the Premier League. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Oh, Duncan, your second favourite podcast, the Bradley Wiggins podcast, has returned. Another cracking episode this week. Sir Brad telling us about some of the peculiar things he's had to do with a baguette during his career. Certain things do stick with you forever. If I ever sit down at a table with my family or wherever, I always take the centre of the bread out. It's just a habit, it's proper old school, you know, proper old school. <laughs> Take the centre of the bread out of a roll, yeah. so you're just left with a crust because you used to have this kind of what was the dough of a bread roll. In France, they used to say, you say, why don't you eat that? And they used to take it and put it in a glass of water and it used to expand. They'd say, locks your legs, look, imagine that in your stomach. Well, that went better than expected. Uh, to listen to more of that kind of thing, search for The Bradley Wiggins Show wherever you get your podcasts. Right, Ooh, top four is looking exciting, hey, Rafa? It's looking very exciting. Four teams, three points. Usually in the top four, Two yeah. places. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's the battle for... You're right. Yes. The ba- I know what you mean. Right. Tottenham back on top in this mini-league, mm. followed by Arsenal, a point behind, who are level with Chelsea, and then two points behind them. You've got your man United. Quick word then on Solskjaer's side, because he, he talked about the players' performance against Watford at the weekend when they did actually get the win as if they were already on holiday. And the way that they seem, their minds seem to go once Wolves got the equaliser midweek must be worrying. Is it a mind thing? Is it a mental thing? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I think United have had weaknesses throughout the Sochia tenure, but they've been outscoring the opposition a lot of games. And uh, the renewed momentum and a sense of adventure, I think, has people being a bit, bit lenient about the defensive problems and the, the more the kind of structural inadequacies that do exist in the team. I don't even know how much of it is down to Solskjaer. I think there are glaring problems in the squad in, in, in the first 11 that United have had to contend with for, for years now. Mm. And it would take um, not just management, but also investment and, and good transfer dealings to sort that out. However, because the other contenders for the for the top four spots are all of a similar nature. You are never quite sure whether they're in crisis or they're actually now lo- looking really good for the top four. The story kind of changes from week to week. Now Arsenal suddenly are having a brilliant season. Two weeks ago, they're having a disastrous season. People are shouting Emery out. And uh, now it seems to have turned again. But next week, it could be another story altogether. I don't know if it's a sign of quality or if it's the opposite, that they're all a little bit You could call weak. it the top floor. There you go. That's an nice. I think there's a bigger implication as well from Manchester United losing Ooh. at Wolves. And that is that now they need to win the Manchester derby, which in turn could potentially help hand Liverpool the title. And that's an implication that surely they wanted to avoid. Um, so I, I was very shocked when I saw the starting lineup against Wolves. Like I say, I think 
I think that uh, McTominay played brilliantly and was probably their best player. But it was a shock to see him in the starting eleven alongside Fred. It felt like it was a weakened team that he was putting out. But this is the material of it, is that now they need to go and they need to win in the Manchester derby. OK, it's part of a brutal April that awaits them. One that begins with Barcelona next week. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be, even as we speak, drawing up his plans for that colossal Champions League clash. What, what will be first on his list of things to do, Rafa? Um, send the heavies round to Messi. Really, yeah, yeah. it's that Beat simple. Beat him up with a metal pole. I love how you've chosen the <laughs> weapon of choice as well. Well, it's a Tonya Harding thing. Um, it's going to be very difficult to repeat what they did against Paris Saint-Germain because it was so fluky. There's a reason why teams don't tend to win that way when they have almost no opportunities and defend the whole time. It, well. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. They also did it to Juve, of course, prior to that. They had Fellaini then, though. That's, yeah, that's yeah. your metal pole. I mean, if you look at, United, be hard. If you look at United's recent fixes, probably the last time they actually played well mm-hmm. was the cut win away at Chelsea, um, which was back in uh, mid-Feb. And since then, they June 0-0 at home with Liverpool. Liverpool, you know, on balance, should have won that game. And, you know, it, it, in that spell, obviously, Solskjaer has been made permanent and there's been a lot of talk about DNA and understanding the club and everything. But, you know, then this is where results can can hide the truth a bit. Um, and, yeah, Barcelona are clearly going to have fun, I think. Mm. Did you see their midweek game? That was quite fun. Away at Villarreal? Mm. Anyway, let's get back onto the Premier League top six-ish race. So, there you go. United lying sixth. Uh, Chelsea, who beat Brighton, two points clear of them in fifth, level with Arsenal, who did Newcastle, and Spurs have moved back up to third with that 2-0 win over Crystal Palace. Uh, Curiously, this was a home fixture, but it wasn't played at Wembley because Spurs have quietly moved into a totally new stadium in the last few days. I I missed that completely. It's located where the old White Hart Lane was. And among the almost 60,000 people who attended was Kayvan Mogadassi from the Oh When the Spurs podcast, who gave us his thoughts on the new matchday experience. It was pretty overwhelming, to be honest. Um, the, the place, as you walk up, it's just massive. So, so much bigger than White Hart Lane. There's so many bars, so many spaces inside the stadium to walk around and, and check stuff out. In terms of like the atmosphere inside the stadium, I think that it's going to be better than it was last night. There was a little bit of tension, both from the fans and the players, but the sound and everything was incredible, and it feels like home. Kevin Mogadassi from the Oh When the Spurs podcast. I, for one, can't wait to go. Me too. I am going to the City game in the, oh, Champions, the Champions League. League yeah. Oof. Very excited. Right. Mm. You didn't go uh, on Wednesday. Why, Rafa? Did not. Because I was watching Bayern Munich play against Heidenheim. In Sixth the best team in the second division in Germany. Yes. And it was a great game. Right. How great was it? It was amazing. It was absolutely bonkers. Um, Niklas Sula, the Bayern centre-back, Germany centre-back, was sent off. Um, early on, Bayern were one 0 up, but then they got, went two one down at half time. Then it came back; they were four two up, even though they were man down. Everything that thought at that point it's all over. But then Heidenheim came back to four four before Lewandowski, very late on with a penalty three minutes before time, settled it for Bayern. But it was an absolutely bonkers game, right? Where everyone's got something because if you are Bayern, if you want to be encouraged going into this huge game against Dortmund on Saturday you say well it's a win of the mentality we were one man down for 70 minutes and we still 
found a way to <laughs> overcome them, but it was Heidenheim. It was a second division team and Bayern conceded four goals and looked chaotic throughout the game. So I think Dortmund will be quite happy having watched that. German second division side tick. Let's talk then about how Spurs looked against Palace. After that awful run they've been on, no wins since the middle of February, good to get the three points, eh, Duncan? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people pointing out that, you know, as good as the stadium is, if Spurs had lost, the Champions League qualification would look pretty unlikely for next season and that stadium is probably too good for the Europa League. Um, Spurs looked okay. They did all right. Uh, Harry Kane didn't look too happy that he didn't score. Um, Mm. He had the first dubious penalty claim at the new stadium which is uh, an honour but yeah Palace were okay for the first half but sort of second half Spurs were well on top well for now Spurs go back into third place but of course it could all change again this weekend with Chelsea and Arsenal both in action and Spurs and Man United not Arsenal are away at Everton where they scored five times last season Everton though of late have started to get their act back together it looks that way anyway huh it does. They look a little bit improved in Arsenal away from home are not quite the same as Arsenal at home. I think that is the big uh, difference um, for all the improvement that you can point at. That weakness away from home is still one of the main reasons why they're not more comfortable in that they're race. They're the only team who haven't kept a clean sheet away from home in the Premier League this season. Is Even right? Fulham. And yeah. Everton are just looking that bit more organised now. Um, I've been very impressed with Dinya. Um Bernard as well. Um, I think that's not going to be straightforward for Arsenal at all, especially because of what you say, being away from home. Um, I could easily see either Everton nicking that or it being a draw. All right. Bad news for Arsenal fans is that Drake, out of hip-hop, has been hanging out with Aubameyang, which has excited a lot of North American sports fans because supposedly there's something called the Drake Curse, which sees teams which he favours or becomes an ambassador for failing ever thereafter to achieve anything like success. Uh, you're going to see Drake on Monday, right? I'm going to see him on Monday, yes. All right. Yeah, I'm very excited. I wonder if Aubameyang and Drake have talked about Ted Drake, the former Arsenal striker. Possibly so. And I wonder if Drake's aware of the Aaron Ramsey curse because he went and scored, didn't he, in Arsenal's win Monday against Newcastle before then getting injured. Curseception. Yes. I'm not sure what that means, Duncan, <laughs> but it sounds good. Anyway, so that's Everton-Arsenal. That's on Sunday. Monday night, what a banger this could be. Chelsea hosting West Ham. Chelsea looking better in their clash with Brighton midweek and sporting a refreshed lineup. That mm. was interesting that they kind of went with the what the fans wanted with Hudson-Odoi in there, Giroud back in the team. It was kind of like the Europa League team given a chance on the, on the big stage. Um, but they did well, so... It worked, and you kind of wonder whether Sarri was pleased with that or slightly annoyed. Right. Well, Sarri explained that it was for tactical reasons, really, not because of any outside pressure. Um, he the- said Brighton are very narrow, and the game had all the characteristics for Hudson-Odoi to do well. And he did do well, yeah. And West Ham have become a very unpredictable opponent, haven't mm. they? I mean, against Cardiff, nobody thought that they were going to come off the worst in that match. Um, and Anderson, where's he disappeared to? Uh, Felipe Anderson was having such a good season, but I, I've really not seen him in the last few performances. So He's like Father Christmas, had a really good December, but then he's just yeah. tailed off. OK, Sarri, who'd been incurring the wrath of the fans away at Cardiff uh, with a better result here. Henry Warmsley speaking up 
Former Leeds is saying, am I missing something in thinking Sally's actually doing a pretty decent job? Chelsea are only outside the top four in goal difference. They lost a cup final on penalties. They're on course to reach a European final, all whilst undergoing a as big a tactical change as you could imagine. I, I think he probably needs another season. I, I just don't think that Chelsea tend to give too much leeway, do they? Um and also, if the fans start booing, which was happening at Cardiff, and he's now addressed the fans, hasn't he, in his press conference ahead of this match against West Ham United, asking for the support to rally and get behind the team. Oh, yeah. So he's clearly noticing that there are sections of the support that aren't behind him. And that's also meaning that they're not really behind the team at the moment that he's putting out. So if that starts to happen, it can be toxic. It can spread quite quickly. And then sometimes that needs a a reaction which Chelsea have never been afraid to take I feel that he could he could definitely implement some some more of the changes that he wants given more time but that also depends on this transfer ban what happens there there's there's a lot going on with Chelsea over the summer very good well Friday night it's clear eyes full hearts as Saints and Liverpool take each other on and what could be a huge game down at St Mary's how about we have a chat about that after this It's never been easier to mess things up. Whether you're confusing vegans with dairy intolerance, offering your seat to a pregnant lady who isn't pregnant, or, like Liverpool, chucking away a seven-point lead at the top of the Premier League in a matter of weeks. Good one, lads. That's why Paddy Power do money-back specials, so not all mistakes cost you as much. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer, correct scorer, and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10, T's and C's apply, 18plus, begambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Southampton, Liverpool, Ralph Hasenhutl. Yeah, the Alpine Klopp. There you go, against the Jürgen Klopp, Rafa. It's the <laughs> yeah. Klopp derby. Yeah, it's a Klopp off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, he really hates it. Who? Uh, Hasenhutl, when you call him the Alpine Klopp. Have you done that? I haven't, no. <laughs> and not many people have outside Germany. I don't know where exactly it's come from. Germany? I'm not sure it has, no. Okay. Um, but it's one of those things that kind of take a life of, of their own, mm. and just endlessly repeated by people who should know better. Um, yeah. Should be a really good game because Southampton are yeah. are hugely improved. Yes. Um, I would be worried about this match if from I was Liverpool's Jürgen point Klopp. of view. Yeah. I think this is one of the toughest in the, in their running now. I think that Haas and Hootler's got them playing well. Um of course confidence breeds confidence and you're probably reaching a team that are on a trajectory at the moment and that is always a bad thing when you want to win a title. Right, oh, they they beat Spurs here. Arsenal have lost there. They drew with United. They won on the road at Bournemouth. They are technically still not entirely safe yet, but uh, looking like a very impressive team, particularly and the recurring theme here against the bigger sides. Yeah, I mean, if the Premier League had started when Hasenhutl took over, they'd be mid-table. Ninth. Really? So, um, but Liverpool—that's a bit underwhelming. Did you say you were going to go? Did he? Didn't he say eighth Klopp? I think there would be with the midweek games. It's, oh, it's adjusted a little bit, but I mean. Solid mid-table, so right. and Liverpool have lost five times at St Mary's in the past, so it's not been a, a happy hunting ground. Right. But uh, the, on the flip side, to give Liverpool fans some kind of hope, um, the last three managers to see their team score more than once in a, in a Premier League home game against Liverpool are Pep Guardiola, obviously this season, um, and then we've got to go back to last season, it's Darren Moore and Mourinho, um, and one of those has been unfairly sacked, and the other's Darren Moore. 
You also have that Virgil van Dijk factor going back to his former club. club. Sadio Mane as well, of course. Mm. And not only that, Lindsay, but Naby Keita, who uh, excelled under the Alpine Klopp, Hasenhutl, <laughs> at Rebel, uh, sorry, RB Leipzig, yes. but has failed to really make an impression at Liverpool, Rafa. Why is that? I honestly don't know. I'm not sure that Liverpool have an answer. It's been a big disappointment relative to the wages, relative to the expectation that have been building over that protected saga, really, because it's taken him a year to arrive and he's still not really there um, at Anfield as far as being an influence on the game is concerned. And he was supposed to be the guy that gives you that bit of extra from midfield. So Liverpool are still lacking that that player in a sense. Is he a better big fish? See, I I talk about certain players, big fish syndrome. He's better being a big fish in a smaller pond than Mm. he is being a small fish in a big pond. In the sense that Alexis Sanchez is also guilty of that, I think. Are you you calling Arsenal a small pond? Well, I'm not saying that they're a small pond, but I think that he was the go-to player in that Arsenal team and he liked being the number one and now at Manchester United, he's not. Would an alpine man be able to get the best out of a fish? That's an interesting (laughs) point. I, I don't know if it's about that. I think he's just... He just hasn't looked like himself. He hasn't looked like he has the same physical explosiveness that really marked his game in his first season also the second season he tailed off quite a lot but in the first season he was absolutely outstanding doesn't seem to have the the close control the pace um that kind of um intelligence to take up these really good positions i don't think he can lose all these things but right now they're not there and uh, i don't think it's anything to do that now he's playing next to henderson rather than to um campbell the season before don't think that the it, pond has become was, that much bigger. Quite unusual as well in the sense that the transfer was completed so long before he actually moved. I mean, echoes of Ian Rush having another season at Liverpool, then going to Juventus and, and not doing very well. So There was that long wait. And in that long wait, um, and you'll probably know more than me about this because I was only keeping half an eye on, on what was happening over in Bundesliga and things, but... Um, am I wrong in saying that there was a slight knock, that there was a slight injury within that time that Liverpool had... And I, and I wonder whether there's, a, there's an und, undergoing sort of recovery from a slight injury thing going on there and adjusting to a new league and to a new team. I think and there are some concerns because he had, he had a health scare. He'd um, fainted in training. There was something that I read about. It might have been at Leipzig that, yeah. and then recovered. And remember, he had this thing um, away to Napoli where he was in in, uh, in hospital and then Klopp said it's a back problem, but reports in Italy, yeah. unconfirmed reports, said there was something completely different. Oh. Um, and again, I mean, he doesn't look, doesn't quite look right. No, I, I, I don't um, think he's 100% comfortable. He doesn't look like that, does he, when he's on the ball? I There's something that's maybe ebbing away at him. And sometimes if you have, if you feel there's a little bit of a weakness, maybe it's playing on his mental state as well yeah it's the other round I think it probably starts from the body not being quite yeah right for him is is the title race going to come to a sudden and unexpected halt then this weekend with a Saints win it's not impossible um I think a draw um against Spurs might have knocked the wind out of Liverpool's sails I don't know if the metaphor is right or not but you know what I mean um but this is a tricky tie yeah I think it is encouraging in the sense that Southampton will play a game that is very close to Jurgen Klopp's game. He understands what it is they're trying to do. 
as, as a Dortmund coach, he almost he had a hand in making that style of play almost the orthodoxy in in the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. So he understands and he's come up against that type of opposition many many times. And I think they'd rather play against a team like that, even though they're really awkward, than a team that just shuts down and just stays and defends really deep without any attempt to come out and press the ball higher up the pitch. So it's a tricky one, but you'd still expect Liverpool to just about sneak a, sneak a win somehow. I think Mo Salah's going to score possibly more than once. Really? Remember, remember when he used to do that? Um, he scored in all of his games against Southampton. I just, yeah, I think it's it's time. I think he will. I wonder how long Alisson's been spending in training this week trying to um, defend free kicks because if James Ward-Prowse steps oh, yeah. up, he's had some corkers, hasn't he, this season? And he has. Wow. Must-see viewing whatever your other half thinks on Friday night. Also this weekend, Bournemouth-Burnley, the Eddie Howe derby, Newcastle Palace, Huddersfield-Leicester. Some people would say there's not that much to play for in some of those, but they'd be wrong. For example, Duncan... There's the lowest goals tally ever in the Premier League, which Huddersfield are on course to break, are they? Yeah, the lowest is 20 by Derby. It's actually the lowest in any English top flight season. 20. Ever. 20. And, and they were known by that Derby that team. That Derby team, yeah, it's their name. And um, what are Huddersfield? Huddersfield on? on 18. 18. So it's, it's on. Also, Leicester want to get into Europe. I think they're one of those clubs, well, like most of the clubs actually, in running for a potential seventh place, which might be enough. Mm. Three points uh, this off, year. Uh, three well, points off currently. Four percent of Brendan Rodgers' wins as a Premier League manager have come as Leicester manager, so that he's he started well, much better than he did at Swansea and Liverpool. Absolutely. Now the the other uh, all-time Premier League record that could be broken this season is most goals conceded. This is courtesy of Michael Cox. It currently stands at eighty-nine. Is that right, Duncan? In a twenty-team season. Oh, yeah. I see. Right, and Fulham potentially could could beat that, although they'll have to get a move on. They're on 76 at the moment. Well, the last time Fulham were in the Premier League, they got through three managers, had the worst defence and came 19th. So they're mixing it up, which is good to see. (laughs) It's nice to see. All right, Burnley, who are not yet safe. They're five points clear of Cardiff with a visit from that Welsh side coming up soon. Uh, And uh, that's Saturday afternoon. Do you remember they beat Bournemouth 4-0? At Turf Moor back in September. It, this is a game where it's the, a match between a team who seems to lose all the time, Bournemouth, and never go down the table, and a team that go on good runs, Burnley, and never really climb. Right. Interesting. OK. Well, there you go. As I say, so much to look forward to, and Newcastle Palace. Uh, that's the Premier League weekend, then. I'm kidding. Of course, Newcastle Palace is probably going to be really exciting as well. Uh, in the Championship... Should we have a quick chat about that, where it's all getting a little bit precarious for that man, Tony Pulis's borough side, who lost five games in a row after their 1-0 defeat at home to Bristol City. Elsewhere, Steve McLaren, as you know, was shown the door at QPR's Tim Sherwood, the favourite to take over. Rangers with just one win in their last 16. They're away this weekend at league leaders Norwich. Leeds are going to be at Birmingham, which is exciting, and but not as exciting as us being in Leeds. That's on Monday week. Rory Smith joining you, Duncan Alexander, me and Julian Laurence at Leeds City Varieties Music Hall, where apparently they used to film a venerable and much-loved old BBC Varieties show, The Good Old Days. You won't recall this, but when I was a wee thing, this is one of the terrors of the... In those days, you only had... You're talking to yourself right now. No, I'm not. Am I, listener? <laughs> so back in those days, when TV's... Smaller screen, but vast <laughs> of depth. 
uh, and you had about one channel if you were lucky. They had these shows that basically rendered watching TV impossible. One of them was The Good Old Days, which... Do you remember this, Duncan? No, I've just looked it up on Wikipedia. It says the audience dressed in period costume and joined in the singing. Yeah, so basically it was like a reenactment of the old Victorian music hall... And the audience gamely played along by turning up in kind of Jacob Rees mock out- outfits. Was it a very Has diverse kind of thing? Your show? No. <laughs> but it's a lovely theatre anyway. So uh, that's City Variety's musical, Monday the 15th of April. A-, a smattering of tickets still left. I could see you in Victorian attire. You could? Yeah. Uh, you can get tickets at cityvarieties.co.uk. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Premier League, not the only dramatic title race listener. Two points separating Dortmund and Bayern Munich. And of course, they meet this weekend in Munich. Could this be any more exciting, Rafa? No. No, this is the most exciting or das geilste Spiel, as Leonid Goretzka called it yesterday. What does that mean? Um, exciting, but in a more physical sense. Ooh, yeah, arousing? Arousing, yes. Uh, arousing. Yes, arousing. Um, and it is true because, you know, these are the two biggest clubs in, in, in Germany. These are the only clubs who have won the championship this decade. And nobody expected it to be this close. Nobody expected it to be Dortmund, uh, to see Dortmund ahead with seven games to go. Two points clear of Bayern. So yeah, Dortmund might not even have to win the game to go on to to win the title. But if, of course, if they were to win at Munich, then they'd be in a hugely advantageous position. Now, Bayern have a great record at home. They won seven straight there. And Dortmund don't have a good record there, but their form right now, we mentioned that scare that Bayern got midweek against the second division side. And also last weekend when they only managed to draw against Freiburg and, and Dortmund, who've been living dangerously of late, the game against Wolfsburg and then... The... Yeah, Dortmund weren't convincing, but they found ways of winning. Mm. Uh, and Bayern have been pretty convincing domestically since the restart. But when they met for the first time in November, it could have easily gone Bayern's way. But ultimately, the right result prevailed because you just felt that Dortmund had a little bit extra over the last 20 minutes. Bayern looked leggy. Dortmund looked youthful. Dortmund looked inspired. Bayern looked... Uh, devoid of any real ideas. It's not to say that Dortmund will win the title, but I think it'd be good news for everyone concerned, even Bayern themselves, if they were to be um, not rewarded for what has been a pretty indifferent season and if we actually see a different uh, winner um, after six years of Bayern dominance. Um, Just a bit of a bit of a lesson I think a bit of a reality check for Bayern team who domestically can still reign more or less uh, uncontested in most games but as we saw against Liverpool have lost a little bit of their expertise over the last few years and uh, have regressed and Do Dortmund you- are, are now in a position to at least domestically put that into sharp relief and perhaps make them realise that they need to try a bit harder. If they win the title, does Kovac stay? And if he doesn't stay, who's going to be coming in? Because there have been strange rumours. About Jose. Yeah, well, I mean, Kovac is there because Bayern couldn't find anyone else in the summer. And he might stay because Bayern couldn't, can't find anyone else in the summer. Now, Jose, I don't think, is a realistic possibility. There was a time, I think, after the Chelsea first reign, so in between his uh, Chelsea and Inter days, where Bayern would have been very interested in him because he was the uh, Pep Guardiola at the time, before Pep Guardiola. But 
I think things have changed and the last thing that Bayern need when it comes to building this new team, because it will be another big upheaval and transfer market and a big transition, is somebody who will do all the things that Jose does. Um, Bayern are the antithesis when it comes to giving power to, to a manager. Mm. So I see it as a complete non-starter. I see. Dortmund's last three visits to Bayern Munich in the league have gone 5-1 to Bayern Munich, 4-1 to Bayern Munich, and last season 6-0 to Bayern Munich. Yes, yeah, I almost forgotten that. But this is a very different Dortmund team. Uh, last year they had this horrible season under Peter Bosch and then uh, Peter Stöger. Under Lucien Favre, they've only lost two games all season domestically. In both of them, well, certainly against Augsburg, they were very unlucky to to lose their game. So they're very consistent, even though some of the games can look a little bit uneven. That's because their style is a little bit slow and can frustrate fans and neutrals because they just keep on playing until they find an opening. And when they don't, then it looks as if they've lacked urgency or lacked willpower or lacked application. But that's just that's just a function of father's game. Bayern are all about big moments, big stars, doing big things which has been enough in most games and might still be enough if you think about Lewandowski, for example, who has a mm. fantastic record in recent games against Dortmund. But collectively, tactically, Dortmund are a better team. And um, they've got Jadon Sancho. And they have Jadon Sancho. And they have Axel Witzel. And they have players can really hurt Bayern, as we saw in the first game. But there's a reason why the bookies make Bayern heavy favourites to win it. Oh, um, really? Yeah, still? Still. Oh, at right. home. For the specific game. Right. Yeah. Saturday evening in Munich. I'll be there. Nice, Rafa. Rafa. You ruled out Jose going there. I, I I was listening intently and you've convinced me. And I'm going to throw another older name at you. Arsene Wenger. His time has come and gone, I think, uh, for this kind of job. He has a lot of people on the board who wanted to sign him before, twice, and failed. He uh, was a big favourite in 96, just before he went to Arsenal. So things could have turned out very differently. Mm. But what we've seen, not just at Bayern, but at many clubs, is when a manager doesn't work, they try to go for the exact opposite. Because they say, these are the reasons why this manager failed. Now we need to get the opposite in. Solskjaer and Mourinho is a good case in point. With Kovac, the problem is that he doesn't give the team any ideas of what they're supposed to do with the ball. And Bayern have a lot of the ball. And the team are asking for solutions. So it's not a thing, it's not a case of them disliking him or um, you know him having lost the dressing room in a kind of emotional sense, but they're not getting the answers that, that they're looking for. Now, if you remember Wenger's last few years, the problem was that Wenger's very passive coaching just didn't give the team enough by way of structure and real game plans and patterns mostly in a defensive way, but also on the ball. So I think if Kovac has to go, and he'll have to go because tactically he doesn't do his job, I don't see them going for Wenger. I'd see them going for a more tactical manager mm. for the next one. Did we see Wenger's quotes this week? Lovely. Um, said, when I die and meet God, and before choosing between hell and paradise, I will ask him where all the refs are. Right. And it, he was <laughs> They'll be in paradise, after, obviously. There was that great quote, he says, you, you're loved when, you, when you're born and when you die. In the meantime, you just have to manage. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert in, in theology, but right. 
is it your choice to choose between hell and heaven? I think or? if you go through a Premier League season unbeaten, you get a choice. Oh, other I see. than that, um, no. Mm. In Spain, you uh, it was very exciting, as we mentioned, the game between Villarreal and Barcelona. They were 4-2 up with 10 minutes to go, but then Messi missed a free kick these days, put another one, an absolute blinder as well, uh, past whoever the Villarreal goalkeeper is, and then Suarez lashed in the equaliser, but that was absolutely blistering. Messi's free kick game that just exploded. When when did he start being that good at free well, kicks? Well, Messi is the fifth best player in the world, <laughs> so I would expect him yeah, to Yeah, he, he met up with Luka Modric good. and got some tips, and he's right. been pretty good since then. But um, no, since the start of 2018, he scored 12 direct free kicks, which most teams will not come even close to. No, only one player in Premier League history has scored more than 12 direct free kicks, and that's David Beckham. So, I mean, it was it was almost like what one more element to his game could Messi add in and there you go very nice their rivals Real Madrid in the meantime crashed to their 15th defeat of the season 15 Lindsay their first with Zizou he'd had those two wins against two of the bottom three this time he came up against a slightly more arduous adversary Valencia who moved to within one point of the top four Valencia with a 3-2 win there you go it's amazing It's, it's almost not even news anymore what, Real Madrid, Madrid losing? losing. Yeah. James can't count anymore because he said 15 and he, he did that to me, which was just his hand. That wasn't was for the numbers. I was oh. just like... Jazz oh, hands. That was just pointing. I was just back, Lindsay. Keep away. In Holland... Was Enzo in goal for that one? No. No, he wasn't. Right. No. Uh, in Holland, Ajax, who will be facing Juventus in the Champions League next week, have gone ahead of PSV. And it's not only the first time that they've been top this season, it's the first time they've been ahead of PSV... In almost three years, over a thousand days. So that's massive. This midweek, they beat Emmen, who are the second bottom team in the Eredivisie. I'm losing you, aren't I? But anyway, they beat them 5 2 to go two points clear at the top. PSV has still got a game in hand. Ah. Ajax's opponents next week in the Champions League, Juventus, also had a midweek win. And with Napoli losing, they are now 18 points clear. Juve 2 0 winners away at Cagliari. A victory, though, that was overshadowed by. Racist incidents, as you, you've probably seen. Moise Kane, who's on an incredible run of form, four goals in his last four in the space of the last 10 or 11 days. This He's only 19. Uh, that's for club and country. But he scored from them at the weekend in a difficult game against Empoli. Scores the second goal here after Bonucci had opened the scoring, but had been receiving abuse from the, the fans and responded by basically facing them down, stretching his arms out, looking at them as if to say, what are you doing? And I th- part of the reaction has been about the fact that Cagliari once again have had these these problems with their fans. But the other part has been the fact that who's the player who comes along and kind of pushes him away and then fails to back him up afterwards? It's Leo Bonucci who who came up with that extraordinary uh, quote post game about the blame for the incident being fifty fifty. Yeah. Um, but he was suggesting not because Kane's black, but because. Ken shouldn't have provoked the fans by standing there. But the the, the, the abuse had been going on before. Blaise Matuidi had complained about it. Uh, the calories, a couple of calorie players actually uh, gesticulate to their own fans to appeal to them to to stop doing it. So there clearly was an issue going on. They'd even made a, they even made an announcement subsequently over the, the PA to say that the game might be suspended because those are the regulations now. Refs can suspend games if there is racist abuse. That didn't happen. The game concluded. And then we had these ridiculous comments from... Bonucci, who has since rode back a little bit on things, he put out an Instagram thing saying racism's bad, 
uh, more or less, and has now said, yeah, I spoke a bit hastily, but it was just well, extraordinary. Sterling also got involved, A didn't lot he? of people yeah. have. Great tweet from uh, Enya Luca, which I qu- quoted before, actually. She just put, um, keen one, racist calorie idiots, nil. And uh, Leo Bonucci own goal, of course. Also, Allegri didn't cover himself in glory. With yeah, his... he, I think, was... I'm not sure what he was trying to do there, tiptoe around the issue. I think, or maybe, and I know this is no excuse, but I don't think he was aware of the full entity of the... Uh, of of the abuse that he'd been getting, it might have been misinterpreted that the Kane had, had or the Kane had, had stood in front of the crowd and the crowd had done something back. It wasn't as evident, uh, at least on, on viewing the game firsthand, uh, as say the Koulibaly incidents mm. at San Siro. But but been. gone but, are the days where managers can just say, "I didn't, I didn't see, see it. it." Yeah, they yeah, have absolutely. To react it, you really want to. I mean, particularly the position he's in, just come out and say. It's terrible. Mm. And back your player up if and your player's had an issue. Regarding Benici, footballers are notorious for always defending their teammates, whatever they've yeah. done. And yet, and this is the other thing. He said, part of his, his original comments were, well, the blame's 50-50. Ken should know that he should contain himself and he should be celebrating with his teammates, which is massively ironic. A, because their teammate, Cristiano Ronaldo, is famous for running off and jumping up and down on his own. And, and secondly, Bonucci is, has often gone round doing a, a kind of wash-your-mouth-out mm. celebration to his critics. So, you know, anyway, not once again the best of weeks off the field. What in terms will be of done? What will... To happen to, to Cagliari? To Cagliari, yeah. Probably they'll have a stadium ban or that section of the stadium will be closed for a bit. That's what generally happens. happened to San Siro. It's happened to Juve in the past as well. Um, but, yeah, what a shame to see this happening. Let's hope that this... Unfortunate occasion will be the spark for some real change. Although I think we probably said that before in the past. Said it last week, didn't we? We did, and uh, of course Leroy was talking about it on Monday. What anyway. is it about Cagliari? Well, I don't want to single out Cagliari. I think that there is there's still a perception. There is still racism among supporters in Italy. Some supporters in Italy. I mean, we've seen it, of course, in this country as well. I mean everywhere in the world. Um, but I think there's also still a perception that it is fair game to wind up opponents in whatever manner you can. Um, but obviously it's wrong. And I think Juve by now must have realised that they need to do better in terms of uh, backing up their own player. And hopefully calorie supporters realise that they need to do better as well, which is kind of at the heart of all of this. Uh, we talk about this on Golazzo this week. In which we wax eloquent about Adriano, the great what-if of world football. What's his nickname? The Emperor? The Emperor, yeah. And uh, Gabriele Marcotti goes on a spectacular, bleep-tastic rant about... about very unlike him. Yeah. He really, I mean, he gets quite emotional when you, when you mention Inter, but we mentioned Inter and Spalletti and Icardi, and things just went very, very dark. Uh, but anyway, you can hear that in Golazzo. Cardi came back, by the way, midweek, if you've been keeping on that, and scored as Inter beat Genoa 4-0. Well, bet what you're hanging on for, listener, is the odds on the games coming up this weekend, FA Cup semi-finals and the like. Luckily, producer Ben has asked Paddy Power about just those. Thank you, Jimbo. And listeners, what you're about to hear are the soothing sounds of Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, City back on top of the Premier League, but Liverpool get the chance to leapfrog them again. What are the odds, please, on at least one ex-Southampton player scoring for the Reds against Southampton on Friday night? <laughs> yeah, basically another home game for Liverpool, isn't it? Sorry, Southampton fans. I'm sure you're tired of this shtick by now. 
but it is odds on that one of your former players scores against you this weekend, 8-13. Leading the way, as you'd expect, is Sadio Mane. He's on the hot streak, and it's 5-4 he scores any time. Adam Lallana is 7-2, Virgil van Dijk is 13-2, and then Dejan Lovren is 13-1, although I think he should focus more on getting on the team sheet than the score sheet. All right, Lee, let's turn our attention to the FA Cup semi-finals then. A difficult one this for the Totally Football family. Lindsay's a big Wolves fan. Emma Saunders, a big Watford fan. Who's going to leave Wembley feeling happy? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? Both teams in good form coming into it after the midweek results and very tight in the odds too. Wolves are the favourites. Good news for Lindsay, 13-10. to 10. Uh, Watford aren't far behind, though. They're 2-1 to one to win this one within the 90 minutes. But I've just mentioned the time in there. 11-5 to five for extra time. That looks tantalising. And what are the markets saying for the other fixture? Do Brighton have any chance at all? Um, in a word, no. Um, no disrespect to Brighton, but they're a very long price. They're 22 to 1 to win this one. That's the longest price in FA Cup semi final since Reading played Arsenal four years ago and the third longest price of all time in FA Cup history. Very one sided. This City are 1 to 10 to win this game. Finally, Rafa's been telling us all about the Classica. Give us the numbers for this one, please. Yeah, it was interesting to hear what Rafa had to say earlier. This is going to be tight. Unless you look at the odds, this is quite one-sided actually, surprisingly from our traders. Munich are 1-2, they are at home I suppose. Uh, Dortmund 9-2, despite being two points clear at the top of the table. The draw always looks value in these big games, uh, that's 10-3. If you do fancy a goal score bet by the way, a certain Jadon Sancho, it's been all about him this season hasn't it? 4-1 to one to score any time. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org and when the fun stops, stop. That's the Totally Football Show for today. Rafa, you've got an exciting weekend in Bavaria. Did you have to convince your other half about that or not? No. Good. I bring back asparagus. Is that a Bavarian speciality? Yes. Really? The white one. Oh, okay, nice. It's grown just outside Munich. Very nice. It's coming into season this week. Okay, and how will you prepare that? Um, no, you get them. You get them peeled. Yes. And vacuum packed. Oh. And you just throw them into some boiling water with a bit of sugar. Uh huh. To get rid of the acidity. Yes. And then you eat them with a sauce hollandaise. Oh, nice. And then whatever you want on the side, like a little schnitzel or <sighs> a, schnitzel or a sea bass. Yeah. Schnitzel or sea bass. That's a tough choice, isn't it? Mm. You want to come with me now, don't you? Well, I'll, I'll be just bring back the thing. We'll have the schnitzel after. Lindsay? I've got my Wembley day out. You've got your I? Wembley day out. <gasps> and so... I think this is just an excuse to get in away from the in-laws. I come to think <laughs> no, of it. No, don't, don't yeah, start yeah. this up again, Rafa, please. Do they listen? Uh, yes, okay. they do. They chat, especially after that discussion, because they know that I go on things like this and talk about oh, it. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so we'll, we'll skim over that, but we'll right. say... Um, so I'm Listen, she I'm doesn't look very sad about not going... I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to the right place. Yes. That the right thing is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, over 30 years since a showpiece occasion at Show Wembley for Wolves. 1960, as you said earlier, since we made the last final oh, yeah. Yeah. of a competition. So I'm, I'm really hopeful. Um, and this is what the days are all about. You know, Manchester City will go. They've been to Wembley quite a few times, you know. Right. So they're probably like, oh, again, again. Yeah, well, they yeah. were there, there yeah. the other day, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But for quadruple, us... Quadruple, It's It's going to be the occasion right. of this year, potentially of the decade. All right, unless you... Oh, you mean getting to the final? Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, best of luck, you know, to both teams and, and to the competition well, in general. More to, more to Wolves, because, you know, I'm here. I hear what you're saying. Duncan... Uh, going to Southampton, Liverpool tomorrow. 
Ooh. Mm. Nice. Sadio Mane can up his percentage of goals scored within two miles of the English coast from 80%. It's already pretty good. That's very good. It's very, very good. Okay, excellent. And of course, Fulham, I saw you were tweeting about the fact that he'd scored there and they have a body of water next to them, which is tidal beyond Craven Cottage. Yeah. So it does still count as coastal water if you really, really reach. So is there a tidal pull? Yeah. 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 What, you, so. what is the overall percentage of Premier League grounds near that are near? Yeah. Oh, right, that's a good question. Uh, it's probably around eighty percent. No, <laughs> way lower than that. So there's all the London ones, other than Fulham, for starters. Yeah. Two miles of coastal water. That's yeah. what you're saying. That's the yeah. that's the criteria. Excellent. All right. Well, that's going to be fascinating. Yet another interesting angle too. This already extremely intriguing game coming up on Friday. We will be back to talk about that and so much more on Monday. We'll be joined by Michael Cox, Daniel Story, Natalie Giedra and possibly Julian Arons too. Uh, so it's going to be busy. Make sure you join us. Listen and have a great weekend till then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.